Hey, it's good to have you with us in church today. From wherever in the world you are watching, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, we pray that your family is being blessed, that your lives are being blessed, that your home is being blessed. Uh, in this season, of course, as always, we miss you. We miss being with you in person. Uh, but we're also seeing the faithfulness of God in this season, and we're thankful for that. And we look forward to the day where we can gather in person again. It's going to be a good day, isn't it? Uh, I've, I've heard so many just expressing that uh, their heart is longing to be with other people. And uh, just a great reminder that God has designed us for relationship. Want to continue our series this morning as we dive into the Word. Uh, it's a series that we started the beginning of this year, a series entitled God Is. And as Micah mentioned in the video, we have our, our next series of journals available, the Lectio Divina Journal. And I want to encourage you uh, to, to get one of these, uh, either the hard copy, the, the paper copy, or if you just want to download the PDF off of the website. Uh, we've been pressing into the Word of God to discover and ask the question, who is God? You know, it's so important for us to have an accurate idea or accurate perception of who God is. In fact, our, our idea of who God is, our thinking about God, will affect every aspect of our lives. I read this week, uh, and I want to read you a quote from uh, the, the, the famous pastor, theologian, and author A.W. Tozer. Um, he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say this, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And that really sums up for us what the theme of this year is. The most important thing about us is what we think about God, what we believe about God, and how we receive him and take him at his word. So we're going to continue this morning in this series. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to the recordings from previous messages, you're welcome to do that uh, at thriveglandor.org at our website. Um, but we're going to keep pressing in and, and asking this question and looking at the word of God to understand who God is, to understand his nature, his character, his personality, what makes him him. And by extension, then, because we're created in the image of God to understand who we are and what makes us, us, we are best understood in light of who God is. Let me say that again. We are best understood or we understand ourselves best in the light of who God is. Is And that's why with these journals and with the reading throughout this year, we're not coming to the word of God with a posture that says, what's in this for me? Now, I know this from my time in the word with God, and you probably know this to be true as well. When you meet God in his word, he will speak to you. He will provide a timely word uh, and, and he will nourish you. But I think sometimes what we do as the church and what we do as Christians is we come to the Bible in, in times of need or in times where we're feeling down and, uh, or just even in our daily devotion. And our thinking is this, 
hey, I need to go to the Bible to get something for myself. And yes, God will feed you, but, but there's a bigger purpose behind coming to the word of God. And it's asking this question, what does this passage or what does this chapter or what does this book in the Bible tell me about God? What is revealed about who God is and, and what can I walk away with where my, my thinking about who God is, is reshaped and reformed? It doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for a day or for a decade or for, for, for five decades. I know this, is if you're walking with God, that you will constantly be rediscovering aspects of his nature and character, that he is immeasurable, that we cannot plumb the depths of who he is. And so constantly taking on that posture to say, who is God? What does his word tell me about who he is. So our theme this morning, the title of my message today is this, God is patient. Isn't that good news? God is patient. I want to read a passage out of John 21. It's one of my favorite uh, accounts in scripture. Um, It's about Jesus and some of the disciples and a central key person in this passage is the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter. Um, and, and not about you, but I, in so many ways, relate to Peter. Uh, I relate to the mistakes he made. I relate to the fact that sometimes he talked without really thinking about what he was saying before he said what he said. Um, usually at this point, we're, if we were in person, I would say, can I get an amen? So if, if that's you, just say amen right now. Um, I can relate to Peter, and I imagine you can as well. Uh, let me set the scene a little bit. This is John 21. This is after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the, the story happens uh, on the seas, uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee uh, where we find Jesus here appearing to his disciples, which would be now the third time that he's appeared to them after his resurrection. In fact, the first time, uh, the first two times were in Jerusalem. And now they're about 110 miles north of where Jerusalem is, back in Galilee, back in uh, their hometown. Um, Capernaum is where Peter was from, and, and, the, and many of the disciples lived in that area. It was the place where Jesus lived during his life and ministry. And, and much of the ministry of Jesus happened in the vicinity of the Sea of Galilee. And so we've now shifted from uh, Jerusalem, where the, the resurrection and the crucifixion took place. And, and now they've moved. They've gone from, from Jerusalem up to Galilee. So let's read in John 21, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, the words will also be on the screen. It says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciple, disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. It's a great story, and I love that John, the writer of this gospel, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He loves to just kind of slide that in there. Um, But I think John understood something about Jesus. He understood something about the nature and the character of Jesus, and, and he felt that love. I want to unpack this passage in a minute, but let me ask you a question this morning. What's your default setting? You know what I mean? Your, your default setting. What do you fall back to? What do you go back to when things get tough? What is the thing that you just kind of revert to? The, it's, it's kind of the autopilot in your life. The thing that, that it doesn't matter what's going on around you or if you start feeling stressed or if the world starts kind of pressing in on you, that you are like, I'm going back and doing whatever. There are things that are absolutely ingrained in us into our thinking, into our personalities, and into our emotions. And and here's the reality. So often those things are really revealed under pressure. It's when the world starts pressing in on us, when situations become difficult, when we start experiencing stress in our lives, when things don't go our way, that those default settings, those things that are just ingrained in us, start coming out. And let me tell you, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're good things. It's, it's like a soldier who has gone through extensive training and, and, and has learned that under, in, in, you know, under fire situations and pressure situations, that training kicks in and, and, and he or she is just able to rely on their training and, and make the right choices and do the right things. I think for many of us, so often the default setting is not as good. It might look like, old habits. It might look like attitudes that come up. It might even look like things like addictions that would kind of bubble to the surface or present themselves again. I love this quote by uh, Pastor Pete Scazzaro. He says this, Jesus may live in my heart, but grandpa lives in my bones. What he's saying here is this, that there are things that are ingrained in us from our family of origin, from our upbringing, from our past, that so often in, in a pressure situation, in difficult circumstances, it's those things that come up. And we see that all throughout scripture, godly men and women who, who love God, who, who served him, but when they were put under pressure, things came out of them that didn't honor the Lord. And the reality is we're no different. You might be experiencing things in this season as we're a few weeks into the quarantine and the isolation and, and, and things are just kind of pressing in and, and you may be dealing with things. I know there's things that I'm dealing with in my life where I thought, man, I, I thought that was behind me. I thought those things were settled. I thought I had, I had moved past that. I thought I had conquered that area of my life or at least got it under control. See, Jesus lives in my heart, and I know that, and I believe that, and I love that he has, has saved me, that he has redeemed me, that he has filled me with his spirit. 
but I also recognize I'm a work in progress. And that there are things in my life, there are things that, 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 that are part of who I am that still are being worked out. And it's in seasons like this when we're being pressed that we have to face those things. So often it's in seasons like this that we start confronting things. You might be discovering things about your family, about your spouse, about the people that you're in proximity with that maybe you've not seen before. And that's simply this. Things that we're able to manage when things are going normally, whatever that may look like, start kind of wearing thin a little bit and being exposed a little bit. And I tell you what, this becomes a prime opportunity for Satan to start beating us up. I I just feel in my heart today that there's so many of you in this season who are feeling absolutely beat up by the enemy. That as you're home, as, as you're doing the things that you're needing to do, as you're trying to, to, to keep yourself busy or uh, occupied or active, maybe there's things that have bubbled up or things that have come to the surface that, that you're feeling guilty about. Maybe there's places where the enemy has started saying, you see, you see that thing? I knew that wasn't over. And Jesus knows that's not over. And, and honestly, y- you stink. You're, you're a loser, why other people aren't dealing with this kind of stuff and it becomes this place where the enemy just starts hammering and hammering and hammering us. Maybe you're even just beating yourself up, wishing things were different. One of the things I keep hearing in the midst of this season is we've got to kind of ease up on ourselves a little bit. I think we've set goals and definitely God will cause us to grow in this season and there will be an opportunity for our, our souls to be expanded through the grieving and the loss and the challenge of this season, and God will do good things. And and I'm sure many of us will learn new habits and establish new things. But I also know this, we can set unrealistic expectations of ourselves. And then when we fail to meet those expectations, we believe, we start believing the lie of the enemy that we somehow are less than or missed the mark. Even in the midst of scrolling through social media and looking at what other people are doing and comparing ourselves to other people, it's really not healthy. It's not good that we have to come back and say, God, who are you and who am I? And what are you asking of me? And what is it you want to do in my life and meet him in that place? So Peter, Peter's default setting was this, fishing. Peter went fishing. He went back to what he knew. Verse three, it says this. He he says it to the other disciples. He says, I'm going out fishing. They've made the trek from Jerusalem and now they're back in Galilee. He's back in familiar territory. Now remember, they've walked with Jesus through some difficult things. This is now the third time that Jesus has revealed himself or shown himself to the disciples. So there were two instances in Jerusalem where they saw Jesus. But the fact is, is they had walked with Jesus through the Garden of Gethsemane and the upper room. And and Peter had been there when Jesus was accused. Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times, just even as Jesus had said, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. And of course, Peter's like, no, 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 never. Everyone else could do that, but never this guy. And yet in that moment in that courtyard, when he's questioned about being with Jesus and knowing Jesus, his response three times is, no, I, I don't know him. I think that 
passage, it says that Jesus looked at Peter and Peter saw Jesus. And I think there was just a look of compassion in, in Jesus' eyes in that moment. But, but there was a breaking that took place in the life of Peter. And then, of course, to watch Jesus brutally murdered and hung on a cross. This had an effect. There was something deep down in Peter's life that was affected by this. And knowing in his heart that he had denied Jesus, despite being so adamant that he never would. Maybe, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've said to Jesus, this is it. This is the last time. I'm never, God, I'm never going back there. I'm never having that attitude. I'm never doing that thing ever again. This is it. Only then to be back in that place again. And you know that feeling, that feeling of guilt, that weight that comes. That's what Peter was feeling. And so he goes back to Galilee. He goes to a, back to a place that was comfortable. He goes back to a place that was familiar. He goes back to something he was good at. And so what do the others do? Well, he says, I'm going out to fish. And they say, we'll go with you. It's a classic case of misery loves company. But check this out. Even in the midst of his funk, even in the midst of this broken moment for Peter, he's still a leader. He's still leading the others. They're following him. And he goes out and they get on a boat. He's like, I'm, I'm going to go soothe myself by going back to what I know how to do. Consider this. Jesus, when he had called Peter, had declared over him that he would no longer be a fisher of fish, that he would now be a fisher of men. And think about this, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and even after Peter had seen Jesus now twice, you would think, or there would be this assumption that this is go time. This is it. This is the thing that Jesus had been prepping them for. It was the thing that they had been called for. You will be fishers of men. Yet in this moment, in this, in this opportune time, Peter goes back to fishing. And I really believe that it's because Peter knew his mistakes. Peter knew that he had messed up. He knew that he had denied Jesus. It probably was just lurking in his mind. You ever tried to not think about something? That's what's going on in Peter's head. He's trying not to think about the thing he did. He, he's trying not to feel the feelings. And even though he's seen Jesus, there's not necessarily a sense of peace. He, I'm sure he's celebrating that Jesus is alive. But what's still stuck in his gut is, man, I denied him. I denied him. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. I denied him. And I imagine Peter's thinking in this moment is this. I'm disqualified. Whatever Jesus called me to before is done. It's over. There's no way he's going to use my life now. I know the things he declared over me. I know the things he called me to. I know the things he invited me to, but I'm done. I'm just done. And so he goes back to his default setting. But then Jesus shows up. Isn't that the best? Then Jesus shows up. And I love what Jesus says. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? I think God has an incredible sense of humor. I think, I think Jesus is using a little bit of irony here. 
He was being a little salty with them. Friends, haven't you any fish? Come on, Jesus knows. He knows they've been up all night. He knows they've been fishing. And it's amazing that the thing that Peter is good at isn't working. The, Peter, the thing that Peter knows and the other disciples know, they've been up all night thinking, you know, well, go catch some fish. That will make us better. The sun comes up and guess what? I'm not even good at fishing anymore. I can't even do this right. Jesus shows up and I love that he says, friends. He calls them friends. See, because if I was Jesus, I probably would have said, hey, knuckleheads. Or, or come up and said, are you kidding me? Are you, give me a break. Come on, you guys. Or, or even this, you guys are driving me nuts. I, I died, I rose again, I revealed myself to you, and you're back in the boat. But he doesn't. Because that's not the way Jesus functions. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? He knows. Doesn't ask him, hey, how many fish have you caught? Because that's what you do. If you go down to the pier in Huntington Beach and you're looking at the people fishing on the pier, you're like, hey, what have you caught? What, how's it going? What's the fishing like? But Jesus says, haven't you any fish? A little sarcastic, because he knows. And then he says to them, cast your nets on the other side, and you will find some. There's something so hidden in this, and it's so precious, that there's no aspect, there's no part of your life, there's no part of who you are that is hidden to Jesus. Friends, let me tell you this. Jesus is an expert in everything that has to do with your life. There is no part of your life that you know more than Jesus did, it does, it, or does. It doesn't matter what your vocation is, it doesn't matter what your education is, it doesn't matter what your location is, it doesn't matter. Jesus is an expert on you. He's an expert on everything about your life. He says to them, cast your net on the other side, which is reminiscent of the account in Luke 5 where he says the same thing to them. And he says, you will find some. And so they do. They take the net, probably a little grumpy, because they've been up all night. They're already depressed. They haven't caught any fish. And now some guy on the shore is saying, hey, cast your net on the other side. I don't, it doesn't even record that they like push back. They're probably just so done. They're like, fine, whatever. And they throw the nets over. I don't know. Maybe sometimes I, I'm like that. I don't know about you. Sometimes the Lord will impress things on me. And I'd love to say it. I'm like, yes, Jesus, I will do your will. But sometimes my heart is like, fine, I'll try it. <laughs> We're not so different. And they cast their nets on the other side. And it says that the, the net was filled up. It was so full of fish, 153 of them, that they couldn't pull it into the boat. Later on, it says that, that the disciples can't, can't brought the, the, the boat to the shore, dragging the net in the water because the fish were so large and near, numerous. Well, of course, John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, recognizes this is Jesus. He has the aha moment. And he says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. 
And Peter's response, being Peter, is he puts his garment on him and he just jumps in the water. He says, I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for the boat to get into the shore. And catch this, he leaves the fish. He leaves the fish. He leaves the catch to go and be with his Lord and Savior. And he swims to shore. What follows is a beautiful account of the restoration of Peter as they sit and they break bread. Of course, Jesus already at the shore has some fish and bread over a fire. See, he is the Lord. He is the master. He is the king and he has everything he needs. He didn't need for them to bring the fish. He already had the fish that were necessary and they break bread and and it's in this moment that Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? Asked three times. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And in that process, restores him from being the loser, from being the knucklehead to being the one who screwed up, who messed up. And he says, I still believe in you. I still have a call on your life. And not only am I restoring you, Peter becomes the leader of this group. He's the one that Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving soon, but I'm putting you in a place of leadership in my place. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty mind-blowing. That Peter would go from denying Jesus just a few weeks earlier to now in this moment, Jesus says, Peter, I believe in you. Peter, I am restoring you. Jesus is patient can I tell, it, t- tell you this morning, Jesus is patient with you. I know we are all walking through, everyone is walking through a season that we would never anticipate before. We're walking through difficulties that we've never walked before. And it's, it's stretching us. It's putting pressure in our lives. And, and, and I know sometimes in, in our homes, in our home, there, there's been moments where, we're, where the patience is wearing thin where we're in each other's space. Maybe you're in each other's space and that patience starts wearing thin. But let me tell you today that Jesus is supremely and eternally patient with you. This doesn't mean that he's just okay with the brokenness in our life because he's not. But his approach to us is not what we think it would be. I think so often we expect Jesus to come to us and and have that same tone as I was talking before. It says, hey, knucklehead. Hey, loser. Hey, I can't believe we're back at this place again. I can't believe you're struggling again. And he comes and he says, friend, how's that going for you? How are you doing? Is that working? Probably not. And he comes with a gentleness that says, I'm gonna wrap my arms around you I'm going to care for you in the midst of your brokenness. And then I'm going to restore those broken places. And and Jesus doesn't just restore to good enough. Then he restores to his purpose, to his plan, to his destiny for our lives. Back, Peter then writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, listen to this, he 
is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know that repentance is not a one-off thing in our lives. Repentance needs to be a daily practice in our lives. But the posture of Jesus towards us is this. In the, in the midst of our default setting, whatever that looks like in your life, that Jesus says this, I am patient with you. I want to draw you, as Paul says, it's the kindness of the Lord. It's his kindness that brings us to repentance. Not his harshness, not his judgment. It is his kindness and his patience that draws us to repentance. See, Jesus restores Peter. You may feel disqualified. You might feel broken in the season like Peter did. Even the week after Easter, we celebrated the death and the resurrection of our Lord. And maybe this week, even in the midst of the, the, the aftermath of Easter, maybe your soul has struggled, your thinking has struggled, your behavior has struggled with reconciling what we celebrated last Sunday and the issues of life that you're walking through right now. And maybe you're in a place where you're feeling like, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. I, God can't use me. I thought these things were done. But Jesus would say this, I see you in a different light because of the cross and because of the empty grave. The way you, Jesus sees you is probably not the way you see yourself. See, I think we make assumptions about God's response to us, which is why it is so crucial for us that we come to a place where we understand who God is. As Tozer said, probably the most important thing about us is what we think about God. And if I believe that God is harsh and critical and judgmental, my life will respond to him accordingly. But if I know that God is patient and he is kind and he is loving and he is merciful and gracious, my soul, my thinking, my life, my body will respond to him in that way. We need to know who God is. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30, as we close today. He says this, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know what your default setting is. I know some of mine. But you know, I picture myself standing in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Doing the thing that I'm doing. And I hear the voice of my Lord and my Savior saying, Friend. Friend. You having any success, knowing that I'm probably not. And in the midst of that the, gen that, the gentleness of Jesus beckons me and he beckons you to say, come, 
Come sit with me. Let me feed you. Let me refresh you. Let me love on you. And let me restore the broken places of your life. Jesus is patient. The Father is patient. Would you receive today the patience of Jesus over your life, over your home, over your family, over your circumstance? Could I, could I just say this? Would you give yourself permission in God, in Jesus Christ, to just take a breath and to be with him? To not feel like this is a season where you need to prove yourself or perform or do or, or produce if the only thing that comes out of this season is that you learn to sit in the presence of Jesus and rest and take on his yoke, that is a win. It's the greatest win that you could have. And it's the gentle invitation that he extends to me and to you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are patient and loving God that you embrace us, that you beckon to us, that you call to us in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of us, Lord, making bad decisions and poor choices. Lord, in the midst of us looking more to the past than looking to the future, believing the lies that the enemy would speak over us. Lord, in the midst of all of that, that your gentle, patient voice beckons to us, calls to us, friend, how's it going? I see you. I want to feed you. I want to sit with you, and I want to refresh you. And in the midst of that, Lord, that you would restore every heart and mind and soul and relationship, every marriage, every family, every child, God, I thank you that you extend to us the offer of the easy yoke. Your desire is not to burden us. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would lift the burdens that have been placed in this season on the shoulders and the backs of people. Lord, that we would learn to rest in you. I want to invite you, if, if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If you've never asked him to be your king, to be your Lord, to be your savior, to, 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 to be the one who takes control of your life, we can do that right now by just simply praying this prayer. Jesus, I repent of my sin and I turn to you. I ask you to be my Lord, to be my savior I choose today to follow you. I believe that you died and rose again for my sin. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, would you please let us know? You can email us or you can uh, put in a comment on, uh, on the, the, the comment section in the chat. Um, or, or email us at prayer at thriveglendora.org. We'd love to celebrate with you in that decision. We love you. We pray that you have a blessed day today. God be with you. Enjoy each other today. We'll see you next time.